Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians. Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we're here to make the case that mathematizing is not about mimicking steps or rote memorizing facts, but y'all, it's about thinking and reasoning. It's about creating and using mental relationships. We take the strong stance that not only are algorithms not particularly helpful in teaching, but that mimicking algorithms actually keeps students from being the mathematicians they can be. We answer the question, if not algorithms and step-by-step procedures, then what? So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about partnering with parents. We did an episode on listening. We did an episode on over-communicating. And last week, we did an episode on parent math nights. In this episode, we want to talk about some do's and don'ts when working with parents. Yeah, it's so important that we work with parents, we partner with parents, we don't separate parents from their kids. So what are some things that we're thinking about as we finish up this series that we feel like we want to include things to think about, maybe some things to sort of do less of and some things to do more of. So let's start this off with something that I saw happen as I was working with my kids' teachers, the district that my Mm -hmm. kids were going to school. I started, I was doing the the professional learning with teachers. I was kind of the facilitator. And I started to hear teachers say things like, well, yeah, I'm telling parents or I'm telling my kids, uh, don't worry about the correct answer. That's not important. Uh, You know, it's just the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Kim, I will never forget the look on your face when somebody said that at a a tournament once. (laughs) Because sure there's a part of me that was like, well, kind of, you know, like this is, yeah, there's a yeah. nuance to that. Right. But you had this right. look on your face like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. us more about that. Like, why were you well, so. So I think we spent a lot of time focusing on strategies and thinking and reasoning. And we knew that that was where the conversation really was focused. And so um, I think that some people took that to mean like, oh, whatever the answer is, they they get like, it'll it'll be okay. It'll all work out. And absolutely the answer matters, right? It, you do need to get a correct answer. It's just that it wasn't the only thing that mattered anymore, right? And so we don't want parents to hear. Well, and also, so I'm going to interrupt. It's also that when you are thinking and reasoning, when that's the emphasis in the room, in the, in the, in the experience, in the mathematizing, the correct answer is already there. 
like like the creative editor sort of takes care of itself. Now yeah. we're talking about how you got there. So yep. it's not like there's all these wrong answers and we're just in the weeds and we're fuzzy yeah. and, and it, no, it's like everybody, we all have, we have the right answer. And now we're focused on how we got there and the reasoning and thinking yeah. because, because <laughs> so do right answers matter? Yeah. 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 Well, and how many times have you um, started to, to explain your thinking and realized your own mistake? And right? how mm-hmm. many times have you been like, oh no, I meant 239 instead of 249 or, or, you know, whatever, something like that. But so the thinking, we, the thinking that was important comes out as we explain the incorrect yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not about like uh, that there are never wrong answers that come up in a mathematizing classroom. There are, but we don't, and we don't necessarily pounce on them right away. We let the student explain their thing. Oh, and then 99% of the time they catch their error. And so they, and when you catch your own error, it's as if you didn't make it to begin with. And because the, the emphasis is on the major thinking involved, not the little tiny, you know, something that just went a little awry oh that, that that we fix um sometimes we even highlight an error so that we can kind of as the canary in the mine shaft we can all like go down that road so that nobody then we can figure mm-hmm. out why that's an error so nobody everybody's really clear about oh okay that's how that's that doesn't work mm-hmm. um but but to the end of of course we want correct answers of course yeah. they matter Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like I interrupted you. You were going to say something. About oh, I don't remember what I was going to say now, but, but, <laughs> but I think it's important that we, we don't just say a blanket statement, like the correct answer doesn't matter because parents could hear that at, at a couple of different ways, right? They could hear mm. it. Like, I don't really care if your kid does well on the test, or I don't really care if your kid gets uh, put in some sort of intervention program, or I don't really care if they have to repeat the year because those are measures that, um, that, that correct answers are measured for those kinds of situations. Absolutely. And we, and that's one of the reasons why we want to really over communicate with parents. We want them to understand what we do mean. That's why parent nights, uh, that we described last uh, episode are so important that parents, um, actually experience the mathematizing to realize, oh yeah, like we got correct answers that the correct thinking was important. So that then when we're um, having conversations with them about what does matter in class, it's because, yeah, of course, yeah, we have the correct answer. Now we're really focused on uh, getting your student to think more sophisticatedly about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just correct answers anymore. Right. All too often in the United States, we have, and uh, frankly, a lot of places where I'm, I'm looking around the world, we've only focused on answer getting. And if that's the only focus then we, we lose out on the reasoning and the, the um, helping students get more sophisticated in how they're reasoning. And then students have a harder time actually making the progress that the parents are so worried about. So we just, we're just um, advocating today that we think about how you word that. It's not, it's not about, oh, correct answers don't matter. Of course they matter. That's just not the only focus. That's not the, the main focus because so much else is happening that's wonderful. Correct answers are happening and we can um, build that, that more sophisticated reasoning as we go. I thought it was really important, Kim, when you just said that, we, that parents might hear the message that if we say something like that, that how that might negatively impact their kids. Yeah. Because parents do care about how well their kids are doing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so- I mean- sim- Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the message could be sent that your student is just one of my whole class, but to that parent, that's their one student, right? <laughs> they're, they're super concerned about what's happening with that one student. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so another message that could inadvertently be sent in our attempt. So most of us deal with high stakes tests. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I also, as I was working with teachers, uh, started to hear teachers say, so misunderstand what I meant as we were working with them in trainings and workshops. Um, and so they would say something like, oh yeah, the high stakes test doesn't matter. So don't, don't worry. You don't need to worry about how your student's going to do on the state high stakes tests. It, it's okay. Those, those tests are dumb. They don't matter. You might've heard me in the podcast say on a high, stupid high stakes test. And now you know how I feel about the test. That's often a way I sort of joke about high stakes tests because I don't, I don't really like them mostly because of what the perception is that they do. The perception is that the high stakes tests help us create equitable learning experiences for kids. And that's just not true. Uh, there's an expectation, um, often public policymakers will say, well, we have to have these measures so that we um, uh, insist or that we, we ensure that uh, we have high, um, help me Kim, that we have uh, proficient teachers, that we have really expert teachers mm-hmm. and that the high success ensure that. And we can talk more about that someday, but that, it, that just doesn't work. If you look at what's actually happening, that the tests don't provide that. They don't ensure that. They do other things. And and sometimes I think that the tests are actually not that bad as a test. It's what we tend to do with the scores that's horrible. Um, It's what we tend to do to freak kids out, the the pressure that's on kids. And I think that's the well-meaning teacher's meaning. The well-meaning teacher is like, oh, let's not put all this pressure on these kids on these high-stakes tests and that's what they might mean when they say the, te- the, the test doesn't matter. But we have to be really careful about how we say that to parents because parents, again, might hear, oh, I'm not going to help your kid do well on this test. I'm not because, oh, it doesn't matter. And so your kid, it, it doesn't, you know, your kid's going to maybe fail this test again. Like they might get held back this year. Uh, they might get stuck in some sort of intervention. They might have to come in after a school to get better at doing the, you know, like there's lots of ramifications that parents might be used to if their student doesn't do well on the high six test. Kim, you mentioned some things that could happen at younger grade levels. Uh, from a high school perspective, I've got high stakes. My students are taking high stakes tests uh, like ACTs, SATs, college entrance exams, maybe even military entrance exams that it, those are, those are true high stakes. Like students need to do well on those sometimes in order to enter their chosen profession or their chosen uh, internship or, or uh, chosen university. And so very high stakes are involved. So we want to be really careful how we talk about those tests with parents. I don't know. Chime in, Cam, help me out here. <laughs> I was actually just listening to you. And I was thinking about when I took the GRE and, and <laughs> wasn't that fun? <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. And you know what? My approach to that was let's just see what happens, right? Like let me just let me just see what's going on. It's been a long time since I've done any uh, high school mathematics. And here's what I found, and I think that you'll you'll agree with me that because I was a thinker and a reasoner, and still am. I didn't have to memorize a bunch of stuff, right? I walked in, I was like nervous about it. And I thought, well, let's just see what happens. But I was able to reason through so much of that, even though I hadn't experienced it for quite some time. And so I think that the kinds of classrooms that we are building or we we um, are advocating, we are su- yeah, advocating, thank you, suggesting, is that we're going to, we're going to have kids who we are equipping 
to do really well on high stakes tests. And so we don't need to say things like they don't matter. We're going to say we're partnering with your kids and we're going to equip them so that they do well on these anyway. Absolutely. It's not about we're going to drill. We're going to review for three months before the test. Oh, uh, we're going to do these crazy things because we're we're focused too much on the test, mm-hmm. but we're also not ignoring the test. Right. We're going to ad- we're going to admit that it's there. We're going to do some very intelligent things and we're going to have an episode coming up soon where we're going to focus on some ways that we can help students uh, be successful on those high stakes tests in ways that don't rob the thinking and reasoning that don't take away from the time that we, that we want to advocate that we spend really mathematizing, but that can yeah. also help your students, you know, have a little bit of a leg up on those tests so that they don't, um, what, what we don't want is we don't want students to, to get to that high stakes test day and be completely unclear about test instructions or be, uh, have never experienced a time component to a test if that's part of your high stakes test, or never have experienced the way uh, an item might be phrased, or um, never experienced the way that they might have to answer that if they've never taken um, a multiple choice kind of a question, right. if they've never experienced that, if they've never experienced what we in Texas call a grittable item, um, if they've never had to show their work and explain their thinking. Like we don't want students to land in that kind of um, atmosphere and be shocked and surprised. And I've never seen anything like this. Of course not. So we'll, we'll share some strategies that we have to help students so that they're not uh, totally surprised by that kind of uh, experience. But at the same time, we're going to prioritize the way that we teach so that kids are, are are hitting that test like Kim. They're going into that, any any high stakes test that they ever take, knowing I'm a reasoner. I can mm-hmm. think through stuff. This stuff is figure outable. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna read the question and I'm gonna figure it out. I have confidence in my ability that because I know it's figure outable and I know that I am a figure outer. that I then can confidently with assurance, I can go into this situation, figuring it out. I know it's figure outable. I am a figure outer. I've never said that before. And so Mm -hmm. now I can just approach this test uh, with confidence and y'all in a huge way, my personal kids taught me that Uh, especially I'll give credit to my son, Craig, where he would, and it's not that my other kids didn't, but he would verbalize it so much more than the other ones where I would say, Hey, you know, like, what are you thinking about this, this high stakes test that you have to take? And he would just smile at me and he goes, mom, it's going to be figure outable. Yeah. I I know I can reason through this stuff. And and so I'm just going to do that. Uh, Here we go. I'm just going to go and reason and do the best I can. Kim, one other thing that I want to share today in the podcast is I was in a workshop once. Uh, It was a national conference. They had this kind of short workshop uh, during the conference. It was sort of a longer session. And I was sitting next to a participant, hadn't ever met this person before, uh, you know, hi, how you doing? What do you do? Um, right before the session started. And this person said, well, I'm actually not a math teacher, uh, but I write items for the SAT. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you right now because I just actually want to like leave this workshop and just talk, but it's fine. Yeah. I just want to like drill this person. I, I was really fascinated to talk to an item writer, you know, like a, a, an item on, a, on an SAT. What? Yeah what they're, uh, what's behind that? Because I was pretty sure that I, I knew what was behind it. I, I actually did a paper on the SAT gender bias actually, uh, for my senior thesis at BYU. And so I'd, I'd done a lot of, uh, you know, stuff on the SAT. Anyway, during the session, there was some time where we could kind of talk about some things, you know, like turn to your partner and have a conversation about things. And I said, do you mind if I ask you, 
tell me about writing items for the SAT. And we ended up having a longer conversation later where the upshot of the conversation was, I asked, do you, do you look at a particular sort of topic in, in math and say to yourself, what are the typical ways that a kid who doesn't actually understand what's happening, but has memorized their way through and solving it, what are the typical ways they would mess that up? And then those are the three wrong answers. And then what is a way that like, we're going to write a problem so that if you're reasoning, if you're actually thinking about what's happening, if you own relationships, you can actually solve that problem pretty quickly. But if you do the typical traditional way that you see kids doing it, and they're going to mess it up in one of these three ways, it's going to take you much longer. And that test writer looked me in the eye and said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, tell awesome. me more. So I make sure that we understand. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the upshot. The upshot is that they are looking for items that if you are reasoning, you can solve pretty readily. If you are using relationships, you're looking at how things are are uh, connected, that you can use what you know to solve it pretty regularly. But if you are trying to do sort of the typical traditional way that we've kind of told kids the steps to do um, in class, that's going to take you much longer. And the answers that are there are the typical ways that kids will mess it up. Yeah. Anybody feeling a little bit like, like, Okay, I was about to say a bad word. Um, feeling a little bit, help me, Kim, feeling a little bit uh, like that wasn't nice to do. That mm-hmm. was not a nice thing. That, the, that Well, y'all, that's how they write those tests. So that they can kind of weed out people who actually understand what's happening. Now, if you're following the steps, you're going to get a bunch right because you're going to follow the steps. And if you do it correctly, you're going to choose the right answer. And so you're going to get enough right, but it's going to take you longer. And those tests are tests of speed. And so they bank on that. The way they score those tests is they include items like that, enough of them that, that again, if you're thinking of raising, you solve it pretty readily, you move on, you're able to solve more of them. You can still do uh, all the steps and get the right answer, but it's going to take you longer. And since it's a test of speed, now you're taking too long and so you don't do as well. We would suggest that if we can really help students build their reasoning skills, really mathematize, they're going to go in more confident. And they're going to be able to solve those items more readily because that's the way the items are written. I would suggest that many of the items on on high stakes tests that I have seen at the undergrad level as well, uh, undergrad, I just meant under undergrad, mm-hmm. uh, not, a, not university, not the university entrance exams, but also, but, uh, also the, the high stakes tests at, at elementary and uh, middle and high school, that those high stakes tests are often, those items are often the same way. That if you can reason through them, you will solve them more readily. Mm-hmm. Look at any, here's, here's a specific item that's easy to find. Go look at a middle school test or a fifth grade test or even a fourth grade test where there are decimal problems. And almost always, it is a gnarly problem to solve if they're going to do any kind of algorithmic computation, any kind of step-by-step procedure. But if you just reason, it actually comes out pretty nice. Most of the time I find that to be, not all, not all. I remember there was a test once, Kim, you and I had this conversation once. It was like a fourth grade item and it was something like 23 times 77. I mean, it was, and, and the worst part was it was a, it was a, a guess at a, uh, it was a, it was a benchmark test. So it wasn't, it wasn't written by the state yes. or anything, yes. but it was like a guess. It was a guess yes. at what was going to be on the year end test. And they gave it really early in the year. 
because they said, well, if kids are learning two by two multiplication, they should be able to do any problem. And I was like, oh, for heaven's sakes, do 12 times something for a beginning problem. Because now you get kids that are, are building the reasoning. That's a good beginning to two-digit uh, two multiplication problem and then build towards the uglier ones by the end of the year. Anyway, it was just a bad guess on a test writer's part. So for the most part, there are many items that are written that way. I would challenge listeners. Here's my challenge. You go look at your high, the, whatever your grade band is, look at those high stakes test questions. Uh, look at those items and notice if kids are reasoning how readily solvable those items are. And if they're not, reasoning how much more time it will take to actually do sort of a, any kind of traditional step-by-step -step procedure for those. So don't tell parents that the high stakes tests don't matter. Do help students become the confident reasoners that they will be able to reason through any high stakes or low stakes or any stakes sort of thing that they ever have to do in life. We just want them reasoning. All right, so if you want to learn more mathematics and refine your math teaching so that you and students are mathematizing more and more, then join the Math is Figureoutable movement and help us spread the word that math is figureoutable. Thank you for listening and making math more figureoutable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.